Sign up with my bookie and use our promo code Gators to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Get the Manscaped Performance Package at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping when you use code GATORSBREAK20. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout-outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Join me fresh off of his trip to Gainesville, back in Philadelphia. All in a couple days' time is Will Miles. You can find his site at readreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Well, at least it wasn't a wasted trip. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, we got you and I were talking before we come here. At least we got a good old fashioned SEC back and forth slobber knocker type of game. Uh, but man, it was a, uh, yeah, it was good seeing you. Two days later, I'm seeing you behind a behind a computer screen again. But it was good to see you see you in person on Saturday. Yeah, man, you forget how much you miss these things when you don't get to go there very often. I know you got to go last year, but it was weird without all the fans and without the tailgates being as robust as they were. And I, I haven't seen Gainesville quite that that lit in a really, really long time. So, you know, the tailgates were were great, and then you go into the game, and the fans were just fantastic. Um, you know, obviously, even the Alabama players were sort of singing the virtues, a bunch of media members who aren't normally – there in the swamp, just suggesting that that's the loudest place they've ever been. So uh, all of our buddies had a grand, grand old time when they got into the game and, and certainly I think had an impact on the game and, uh, you know, just Florida not quite able to pull it out there at the end. But um, regardless of the outcome, uh, the whole point of being in the SEC is that you get to test yourself and Florida got to test themselves, obviously comes up short, but, you know, considering that you got Florida State losing to Wake Forest at the exact same time. You got Miami losing to Michigan State. Miami got, got absolutely slaughtered by Alabama in week one. I think Florida certainly acquitted themselves well based on the rivals of the state. Um, but now we got to acquit ourselves well with the rivals out of the state. So we've got a couple more shots to do that this year, and hopefully we'll sort of get through the next couple of games to get to that gauntlet of LSU and Georgia coming up in the next few weeks and uh, go into those encouraged with a healthy Anthony Richardson and a, and a developing Emory Jones. So, you know, it was one of those things where the fantastic time, I mean, Gainesville is like the place to be. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, you know, part of it is because I went there and I'm biased, but part of it is, is that place is just magical. And uh, especially when you get to see all your friends and family, when you go down there. Yeah, definitely. As you said, uh, week in and week out, it's a test. Me- Mullen called it a measuring stick. Gazer measured up pretty well, a little bit short, but measured up pretty well versus Alabama here in 2021. Will and I will get into that. We'll move a little forward to uh, to Tennessee and uh, what Gators basically can learn uh, from the Alabama game moving forward and hopefully moving forward. But we'll get into all that. Dan Mullen talked heavy about that today, uh, about moving forward on – uh, you know, away from Alabama, looking forward to Tennessee and looking forward to the rest of the season. Let's get straight into it, Will. I think you I think you and I are both tired after this weekend there. So, uh, we'll, uh, and Will is traveling there. So, we'll get straight into the episode here. And let's get into what Mullen had to say a little bit, uh, Will, and straight to it today. We've got to win the game. We didn't win the game. That's the bottom line. There's no moral victory, Dan Mullen said. And then Kyrie Elam chimes in, too, today. He goes, we shouldn't have sympathy because we lost by fewer points than in the SEC championship game, even though we were supposed to get mopped or whatever. He says they need to move on from the loss quickly and move on to Tennessee. So at least the right things are being said. Well, now we'll see what, exactly what happens when they hit the practice field and and when they line up versus Tennessee Saturday night. But uh, you know, that was a big um, – you know, I don't, I don't know, if, I don't know if debate's the right word, but uh, I think the fan base a little bit. Uh, you know, there's no, no such thing as moral victories, but there are some things you can take away from it. But uh, at least you know the head coach and and, and one of your star players. Uh, look, you know, there's no sympathy, there's no moral victories. We do have to move forward. 
But uh, we'll get into it of what Florida can take away. But, look, we're fans. We can do that. We can sit here and, and look at the Alabama game and take the good from it and look at it for a couple of days. It is time for the team to move forward uh, there. So at least saying the right things, Will, a couple of days after the disappointing loss to Alabama. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got one coming up this week against Tennessee. You got to get ready for that. Now, I do think that the team has a lot to learn. I mean, that was one of the things that we learned is that there are still mistakes that are being made, and those mistakes really sort of cost them the game against Alabama. And if they can clean those up, then you've got an opportunity to potentially play Alabama again. Now, I think it's a little bit short-sighted to say if you just clean up those mistakes, you'll win because Alabama had a bunch of mistakes too. That's one of the beauties of the third game of the year is that uh, is that you had an opportunity for Alabama to make some mistakes as well that they're not going to make later in the year so that's really the question right is are they able to build in to learn from their mistakes build into the the team buy in as a team you know we saw this a few you know i don't want to compare it to the 2018 because i don't think there's even a it's even close from a talent perspective, but you had the missed, you had the missed kick against old miss and then the promise from Tebow and all of a sudden things sort of turned a corner that season could have gone the other direction. If everybody had sort of splintered, I think that's maybe the analogy I'd make after this is that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they have an opportunity to come together, to get better, to look, to go out there and put together a complete effort against Tennessee where they don't make those little mistakes and sort of prove what everybody thinks coming out of this. I mean, I think everybody is, there's a faction of people saying Alabama is really not the Alabama that we're used to. And there's people saying, wow, Florida's really good. Look at how they, look at how they, uh, how they were able to hold up against Alabama. And, you know, the que- the question is how truthful is that, right? You don't really know which one is which. And if you go out and you smoke Tennessee, then that starts to at least lend credence to the fact that you are in the upper echelon of the SEC and you need another shot at those guys. Yeah, you know, you had the up and down last year. You had some good performances. You had the, the comeback win versus Georgia. Very kind of similar fashion here. You're able to come back, but then just kind of, you know, put your – Flitted on throw to Georgia for a second quarter, and you were able to come back. But it was an up-and-down year. You already had the loss to A&M going into that, and then uh, some disappointing performances after that Georgia game leading up to the very disappointing showing versus LSU. Showed up versus Alabama, then only to do it again in uh, against Oklahoma in the bowl game. So, you know, not to compare the team so much, but at least uh, the ups and downs. And you hope this isn't a, a peak of the 2021 season, and then a valley is uh, followed up. Uh, oh, just a week later there for the Gators going against Tennessee next week. So let's extend the conversation a little bit, Will, and what Dan Mullen um, also had to say in that regard. said he talked to the team today in the morning meeting, uh, told them you're not going to be a team like Alabama making mistakes in that many phases of a game. A lot they can build off of based on how they fought, though. Quick turnaround, huge rivalry game in the swamp when you go against Tennessee. Uh, because when you go into big games like last week, the physical and mental wear and tear take a hold, but you have to turn around quickly for an even bigger game this week. I mean, I like how he squeezes that in for an even bigger game this week, even though we're not, we, we know that's not really the case, but uh, that's the, the coach speak there for you. And he said the morning meeting was about how they need to correct it going forward. Next few days of preparation will show whether they're ready to make those adjustments. Key is lifting up each other as a team. You want guys focusing on attention to detail, exactness, and you want guys doing that in a positive manner. So I think, you know, I think uh, kind of Will Gwinear's point, going maybe, maybe back to 2008, not splintering uh, the team there and kind of going to that point here too. You know, move forward in a positive manner. Don't point fingers. Don't blame uh, one another. Come together. Uh, use this as a rallying point. There are some good things that can be taken away from from, from a loss, uh, not in the moral victory fashion, but uh, take the good, improve on the bad, and, and Mullen even admits uh, to beat a team like Alabama, and we know this, you've got to play a near-perfect game um, and making mistakes in that many phases of the game. I like that how he pointed that out. There were – Offensive miscues, defensive miscues, certainly special teams miscues uh, a couple times there from uh, a missed extra point, uh, uh, starting to drive on the one-yard line. I mean, yeah, he's right. You want to beat Alabama, you can't, uh, you, can't, you can't step your toe in that many areas of the game. Yeah, I mean, there were coaching miscues as well, right? I mean, I pointed out in my article today, they had eight rushing attempts and seven passes in that first quarter, and they're down 21 to three. The rest of the game, they ran the ball 64% of the time and were able to push Alabama around. I think they went out and didn't really believe they had the ability to push Alabama around there in the first quarter, and it wasn't until they finally sort of had that fourth down pass that got knocked down that they said, all right, we're finally just, there's nothing else we can do. Let's run it down their throat. And then they were able to do that successfully on the defensive 
offensive side of the ball, you know, I, I thought that they didn't really dare Alabama to run the ball early on, and that didn't pay off because Bryce Young was able to take advantage of some one-on-one matchups and some poor tackling on the outside. But, we, you know, Florida hasn't been a real good tackling team on the outside for a couple of years now. And, and so we know that going in, and one of the things that we expected was a lot of coverage and, and sort of the dare Alabama to run the ball. That's where Alabama struggled. Sure enough, Alabama struggled to run the ball the entire game. Um, at the same time, they, they left too many one-on-one matchups on the outside. And then you get to all the tackling issues. You get to, um, you know, the pass interference calls, some of them legitimate, some of them kind of questionable. Um, you know, you get, you get to all those sorts of things. But I, I would say that most of those things were effort mistakes. Like yeah. the pass interference calls, even if, even if you're going to tell me that they're legitimate, the pass interference calls were effort plays, right? The guys are trying hard. Before you move off on that one, because I don't know what your next point is, but at least, and I will say this about the, the pass defense, Three games now, and it didn't matter who Florida was playing last year, but this is three games now. This is Alabama again. We saw how many times their wide receivers were running wide open last year versus Florida. At least you didn't get, you know, besides that Billingley touchdown, you didn't get that huge gaff of somebody just being huge wide open or getting beat uh, so much when somebody was wide open. I mean, mo- the guys were in position, pass interference, not pass interference, but they were there more so than they have been in, 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 in you know, going back to 2020. Yeah, I mean, I think Young missed a few, but yeah, I absolutely yeah. think that uh, think that Florida's defense has improved from last year. I think we we thought it would improve from last year, um, but my, my point is that the the mistake, the mental mistakes, I think actually sort of fall on the coaches in this one, other than the special teams, right? The the missed extra point and not knowing the rule when you're down in the end zone catching the kickoff, those are mental mistakes. But like Cox's pass interference, I didn't think that was a mental mistake. I can't imagine he's not coached to go out and knock that guy off the route. Um, you know, the drop. Interception. Okay, that's something that you know you want the guy to hold on to it. But the zone blitz was perfect. They executed perfectly and just weren't really able to cash in. Um, even Emory Jones interception. I mean, it was the right read according to according to Mullen. He just overthrew it a little bit because he was getting pressured. And so you know you can deal with physical mistakes. And that's the thing I sort of take from this is a lot of the mistakes Florida made were physical mistakes. It's the things like the two point conversion not lining up correctly. Those are the things that would would eat at me if I were a coach because those are the things that are preventable. Or they're the things where with three and a half minutes left, you still have an opportunity since you had two timeouts to call a timeout, make sure you get in the right play, and, and make sure that you you have the opportunity to tie the game there. Yeah, I mean, that's another um, uses, of, uses of time, two games against Alabama there where you wish Florida just had just a little bit more time there uh, toward the end. Uh, there, well, I want you to I want, I want to extend on something in your article, and I brought it up to you because I thought it was a really good point uh, You know, before we started here. And, and um, Florida was able to overcome that starting on the one-yard line, 99-yard drive. But you had a really good point there. Look, I just brought up, we you like to have Florida – in Alabama these last couple games have just a little bit more time there at the end. And look, you brought it upon yourself uh, there, but a different way of bringing it upon yourself here is, and you brought it up, Will, is Florida had to work. Florida had to sustain drives. They had to put plays together to, to, to go score. If that drive had started just a little bit closer, Florida maybe have just a little bit more time. Yeah, Florida was actually the more explosive team yesterday, which is surprising because it didn't feel like that, mainly because all of Alabama's explosives came in the first three drives. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, you got to go 99 yards. It takes time to do that. So there are three drives in the fourth quarter where set 10 plays, 75 yards, 440, 11 plays, 99 yards, 404, and 12 plays, 75 yards, 615, right? And so they get the touchdown with with 310 left there, and then they miss the two-point conversion. They've got their two timeouts. Alabama gets one first down, game's over. And, you know, if you'd have been able to save a minute there on that second drive, Maybe that first down, you get the ball back with a minute, minute and 10 seconds left for Emory Jones to lead that drive rather than having to scramble around getting hit there on a, on a Hail Mary that he wasn't going to be able to get it to the end zone anyway. Um, so really not a whole lot of hope when they get the ball back as opposed to having a minute. So every play makes a difference, right? I mean, doing every little thing right and sort of cascading those things together is is how you get over these sorts of humps, especially if you're a team that, let's be honest, Florida is not as talented as Alabama. But I think Alabama has some real question marks, especially at the quarterback position, when you start making Bryce 
Bryce Young throw down the field a little bit. And we saw that. Like, he hit a couple. At the same time, he missed a few, too. And I, and I think it, that gave Florida an opportunity to crawl back into the game. They were able to crawl back into the game, but they just ran out of time at the end. And part of the reason they ran out of time is because they had to go 99 yards instead of 75. And, you know, because they wound up in third and 19 after they missed a mesh point. Um, yes, they converted the third and 19 and the, or you know, they got to fourth and two and then were able to convert it. But did you waste a minute there while the ball's in the ground and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do over the next couple of plays to get that first down because it's such a key first down? Those are the sorts of things. You know, you only have two timeouts at the end, which means you wasted a timeout somewhere mm-hmm. in that in that third or fourth quarter where because you couldn't get lined up correctly or because you know the play clock was about to run out. So those are the little things that I think over time you hope that the team can develop. And by the time you get to the end of the year, it's just really, really crisp and you don't see those sorts of mistakes anymore. Again, I think third game of the year, you're going to see those sorts of things, right? A, a first-year starting quarterback in Emory Jones, you're going to have some things where you know guys aren't lined up correctly. You're going to have him make some mistakes when he throws the ball out there when maybe he shouldn't. You're going to have him miss some open guys in – in various routes and not necessarily go through all of his progressions. Those are things you expect by game three. The question I think for Florida is going to be, you know, by the time you get to LSU, by the time you get to Georgia, and by the time you hopefully get to the SEC championship game, have you gotten to a point where those little mistakes are all of a sudden starting to become little wins? Because you just need to find those little edges everywhere to take on Alabama, especially in a game where Alabama wasn't perfect either. But you look at the turnover margin, Alabama won, right? You look at third down, Alabama won. You look at total yardage, yard per play, you know, yards on the ground, all that sort of stuff. Florida won handily, but all those things that just add up to a complete game, Alabama won those things, and that's why they won the game. Yeah, and then, look, as, as I said, you know, you, if people want to define it as, as a moral victory, okay, a good loss, okay, that's, you know, your prerogative, the, the good loss. We'll see if that comes into play later on in the year. Not a good loss right now. and I, I'll have to – can't repeat that from from an earlier podcast, uh, but you know the team can't, um, and 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 they're and they're not, um, th- but they're saying the right things uh, right now. So that's where it comes. The ultimate test comes when you line up versus Tennessee Saturday night, and there are well, there is good to take away from the Alabama performance, you know, and that's not to say you're happy with how Florida performed overall. You know, you are proud that the team came back and made a game of it and didn't fold. Uh, in that regard, there are plenty of things to take away, but how you apply it. How you apply those good things this week in practice and on game day coming up versus Tennessee is where you're really going to uh, look back at this Alabama game and see how much it really meant to Florida. You know, you could, you, you, you have to be able to use this big of a platform, that big of a game. You made somewhat of a statement. Now eyes are on Florida, and a lot of eyes are on how Florida responds now. Uh, and, look, you cannot think you've arrived now just because you played well versus Alabama, because you played Alabama tough. You know, that, 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 that could be very easy to do. You know it's the best team in the country. Okay, well, we're only two points worse than them. No, there are, as we just said, plenty of areas to get better as the season progresses. Yeah, well, I mean, Ole Miss played Alabama well last year. They went up five and five. So at the at the end of the day, you can play one game, especially a home game with a crowd as intense as that was, and and you know, sort of throws Alabama off their game, and then Florida's able to take advantage. The big things I'm going to be looking for is they did a really bad job of converting their explosives. They had a they had two explosives on the opening drive that ends up in a field goal. They had like second and two, I think, at the four yard line, you know, and all of a sudden the Alabama defender breaks through the line. Damian Pierce tries to break it out outside gets tackled for a loss and then third and six they can't convert they settle for a field goal and then the big one really I think is the 26 yard pass to Wells over the middle to start the last drive before the half and that turns into a punt because on the first on the first down play Emory Jones I think actually missed a deep shot that they had called and then uh, Pierce runs outside they get the holding call and all of a sudden that that drive just sort of fizzles as well and we'll think, about how, and think about how good Florida had been in that regard in 2020. You remember how they would score right before halftime and then score right after halftime and then either extend the lead or, you know, that would be the story of the 2020 team. That was a chance to do it again here in 2021 to really put some pressure on Alabama. Yeah, but, you know, this has also been the trend for Florida in 2021, right? I mean, against FAU and against USF, they've really stalled in the red zone quite a bit, especially when Emory Jones has been a quarterback, right? And one of the reasons that they've scored so much when Anthony Richardson's been in the game is because they score from 80 yards out. They haven't had to score in the red zone. In fact, when Richardson's gotten them into the red zone, his helmet's popped off, and Emory Jones has come in, I think, twice, one in, once in the FAU game and once in the in the USF game, and, and neither time was Florida able to convert in the red zone. One, they turned over on 
downs and one I think was an interception. So, you know, you, you look at it and say you're not converting when you get down into the red zone. That's that's concerning for a team that's running the ball as well as Florida is. And the the problem is, is the two point play, not converting on the opening drive in the red zone, um, not being able to convert on fourth and two. Those sorts of things are are things now that we've seen for three games. And so those are the things that I think are going to have to get cleaned up because it's not isolated to Alabama. It's just we saw the same things against Alabama that we saw in the first couple of games where they struggled in a few of those situations. And they're going to have to clean that up because, um, you know, at some point you're going to have to make a play in the red zone against Georgia or you're going to have to make a play in the red zone against LSU. And, you know, at some point the defense is going to have to get a stop in late in the second half. And, you know, those are things that in the fourth quarter, Florida has not been real good against FAU against USF and then they basically played Alabama to a draw really in the second half the other day um, got the ball first and so we're able to pull a little bit closer and stop them for a field goal I guess though that was sort of a false start stopped them for a field goal there um, you know the, the game the, like I'm really proud of the team for the way that they played the way they fought back the fact that it's a two-point loss I think you can be proud of the team while still saying there's a lot to work on and um you know, they may be two points away from Alabama. I'm not sure they're two points away from an SEC championship. And so there, there's work to be done, and you need to get better by the time December comes around. Yeah, good way to put it there. Still plenty of work to do for this team. Uh, and as you said, I expect Alabama to get better from here. So that means Florida is going to have to also get better game by game. If you want to play them again, Florida's going to have to get better game by game as well uh, moving forward. And we'll, we'll get into the identity uh, of this team a little bit too. I think we, we – we know more about the identity of this Florida team, at least, at least on the offensive side of the ball, uh, of course, and comparing it to at least the 2020 Gators a little bit. But before we get there, the NFL is back in action, and so it's winning season at my bookie with over $500,000 in contest prize money. Winning season makes the big games better and the victories even sweeter. Head to mybookie.ag and choose from a variety of boosts, contests, and promotions up for grabs. Highlighted by the crown jewel of winning season, the famed My Bookie Super Contest. It's only $10 to enter. You pick five games against the spread each week. Each win earns you a point, and each point gets you closer to the grand prize. If you missed out on week one, don't even sweat it because entries are still open, and all it takes is one solid week to get you back in the mix. Don't just take my word for it. Go join My Bookie today. In order to get you started, make your first deposit at mybookie.ag and use promo code GATERS to instantly receive double your deposit. That's double your money to double your winnings with your first ever deposit using promo code Gators. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Falls in the air, the pumpkins in the patch, and our friends at Manscaped are here to make sure you're keeping things fresh this fall with the Performance Package. The Performance Package 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide using Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping using the code GATORSGREAT20. In the Performance Package 4.0, you get the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, and the Crop Reviver Toner. Also, you get Performance Boxer Briefs and the Travel Bag to hold all those goodies. The Fourth Generation Waterproof Trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, as I said, comes in this package. Get the Cutting Edge Ceramic Blade, Reduces grooming accidents and turn on the LED spotlight for a more, more precise shave. Also includes the weed whacker, the best nose and ear trimmer out there, and those liquid formulations, the crop preserver ball deodorant and the crop reviver, the soothing spray for below that keeps your friction areas cool, calm, and protected after a shave. And Manscaped even throws in those two free gifts, our performance package 4.0. You get the Manscaped boxers and the shed travel bag. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code GATORSBREAK20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code GATORSBREAK20 at manscaped.com. All right, well, let's get to uh, – Muller was asked a good bit about the identity of this team and maybe even comparing it to last year's team. Uh, of course, Will, the identity is much different on offense. Last year, dominated by Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Toney, and dominating through the air with those three guys. Trevon Grimstone in there, too, uh, as well. But now this year, I think going into game three, or after game three with Alabama, we wondered, going into this game, could Florida continue running the ball that they did the first couple games? 
you, you know they wanted to work on the passing game just a bit, but you knew the running game was probably going to have to be the bread and butter for any success on offense for the Gators going against Alabama. And you found the identity that does work. Two completely different identities from the past two seasons. Uh, Mullins asked about it, and he goes, uh, it just shows – Mullins says, uh, thinks it just shows – uh, within that what they've done and how they built the offense such a long time ago. They put in a lot of changes over the years, so they understand it inside and out. Over the years, they created the flexibility to match to the players. Many mistakes through the years. Learned through, learned the, the greatest system doesn't do much if it doesn't fit the players they have. To have enough adaptability in it to make sure it fits whatever personnel is at, it was there at a given time. So they created this offense at Bowling Green, built it, tweaked it, went to Utah, then came to Florida to make it into a short story. They got to say, uh, when they got to Florida with this offense, Will, they thought they had all the answers with a great offensive system. They thought because it had worked at Utah, it would work even better at Florida with even better players. But it didn't fit the personnel grade at that time, so they had to take a step back, adjust what they were doing. From that point, it continued to grow and expand. Uh, the great thing you had in your back pocket that it was changed from year to year. You still knew the origins. And fortunate as a coach to be in that situation. He goes on to extend it. You have new guys, new coaches, Brewster, Garrick McGee, uh, but you still have a lot of the old hats. And, you know, we know those guys, Gonzalez, Hevesy. You can say, hey, we need to get back to this. They have enough years of knowledge of doing what they know how to make it fit in all the different styles of personnel they've had over the last 20 years. So there you can kind of see why now, Will, I think, you know, at least coming into this season when I said falling back, maybe into this run-heavy approach, this run-focused approach, how it was going to benefit John Hevesy and this offensive line, recruiting, develop this these, this offensive line talent uh, for this style of, uh, of play. And at least that's what John Hevesy knows. And as Dan Mullen said, look, they've been around. We, they know what to fall back on and what they feel comfortable with. You know, we know even though you had the lethal high-flying offense of a Kyle Trask and the, and the skill players there, you still knew this was Dan Mullen's bread and butter. He adapted. He was able to adapt and change with Kyle Trask, but you still knew this is the style of offense that he knew better, and it was on full display versus Alabama. Yeah, I mean, look, they averaged seven yards per rush on rushes not by Emory Jones, which is <laughs> against an Alabama team is pretty ridiculous, right? Because you figure that sack yardage and sort of the the scrambles and all sorts of stuff, that, that starts to get um, – incorporated into that as well a bunch of explosives in the running game not just from Malik Davis they also had one for uh um for Naquan Wright had an explosive there was an explosive run for Davis for a touchdown so the fact that they're able to hit those explosive run plays is something they couldn't do last year and I think you really need to give say that again, Will. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had what like two explosive run plays the entire year last year we had one yeah, two three of them just in the game against Alabama I think it was five runs over 20 yards altogether between those three guys. And yeah, well, they've, they've definitely already matched that. I was going to say Richardson might have five the way this season's gone <laughs> thus far. But, uh, I mean, look. The, guys, you know, Pierce, Davis, and Wright, they may have even hit their, their season totals already from last year in that yeah. explosive run category. I mean, look, you don't average seven yards of rushing against Alabama from the running back position unless your offensive line's doing the job. And, you know, there were a couple of times where the, the offensive line got beat and it cost them. But for the vast majority of the time, Florida's offensive line was able to push Alabama's defensive line around, push them back and, and you know, open up holes. I mean, geez, the touchdown run for Davis, it was him and a safety, right? All he had to do was beat the safety. They double teamed both guards and just sort of plowed him out of the way. Emory Jones holds the back end defensive end because he's got to sit there and wait just in case he takes off and runs. And that leaves a gaping hole in the middle of the field. And, and Malik Davis only has one guy to beat. He's able to run through him and get in for the touchdown. And, you know, that's Thanks. sort of been the story of the offense all year. It was awesome. Yeah, Kingsley at center and white on that play. I mean, that was just – it was a black hole right there. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, it, it was consistent, though. I mean, I, I think there were multiple times where I said Gene Delance did a really nice job on that play. I think there was – 
Yeah. I mean, look, we said it coming into the year and everybody laughed at me. And, and I said, look, he's going to be better. Delance is going to be better this year because this is a run scheme that Stuart Reese is going to be better this year because of run scheme. In fact, the thing that I was concerned about that has not been a concern at all is the left side of the line. You look at guys like garage and, and white and Kingsley. And, you know, you look at that and say, those guys are holding up. And in fact, even playing really, really well, and they're able to run to that side as well. So there's not really a, you know, you can do a lot of different things if you can run left and get five yards and run right and get 12. And that's sort of what Florida's done thus far. The problem is, is that, you know, yes, you've hit some explosive plays, but they don't have the Percy Harvin guy who can take the ball 80. And that was what was sort of missing yesterday or two days ago against Alabama. What was missing is that guy who just the minute he gets past you, like, uh oh, like so Malik Davis ran through the safety and did a great job getting in for the touchdown. But had that play happened at, say, the Florida's 40 yard line, if that's where that play had started, he would have gotten tackled. It would have been short. And then Florida would have had to do something either close to the red zone or in the red zone. And they showed that they've shown thus far that they have issues with that. And that's the exciting part about Anthony Richardson is I'm not calling him Percy Harvin. No one is Percy Harvin, but he has that electricity, right? That when he touches the ball, you look at it and go, Ooh, there he goes. And you don't have to worry about, are we going to be able to punch it in from the two? Cause he's, he's punched it in from 80 yards out that that component is definitely missing from the offense the way it is. But in terms of just being able to be a road grader, go straight down the field, five, six, seven, 15 yards at a pop. I mean, Nick one, right. Really impressed me in terms of, you know, they, they'd get ahead. Once he got ahead of steam, was able to get past the initial sort of wave of defenders. All of a sudden his shiftiness was a real asset last year. I don't think we saw that very much because he kept getting hit in the backfield. Didn't have an opportunity to really get momentum going towards the line of scrimmage. But when he did that yesterday or two days ago against Alabama, it was, uh, it was really impressive. Yeah. And I like the versatility and I, and I, uh, I threw up the option plays there, but when you had the, the Lance blocking 10, 15 yards down the field on one side, you had garage doing the same thing, 10, 15 yards down the field when they would run the option to his side. Uh, and then the long Pierce run, I think it was Braun out there who had a nice block and it helped spring that play. But, Will, I, I won't forget, and I brought it up in the uh, Twitter spaces chat this morning, the wide receivers. I mean, especially now that you're running this option, you're running the speed option and you're going outside a lot more, those don't happen without those wide receivers there. So you see Whittemore, you see Copeland. You know, Copeland's not getting a whole lot of catches, but he's out there blocking his – blocking his tail off, same for Justin Shorter, not making a whole lot of catches, but that Damian Pierce touchdown doesn't happen with Justin Shorter out there uh, blocking right there at the goal line to, to give you know to bring Florida within the the, the single score there for the two point conversion. So you know, you're starting to, you're seeing this offense. This is the offense we know Dan Mullen knows you know he can recite every bit of it while he's asleep. He, he this is his bread and butter. He knows it. They worked on it like, as he said going back to the Bowling Green days in the early 2000s. This is what we're seeing and I mean it's uh it has definitely stepped up and, and helped uh, the unit that needed it the most, the offensive line, but definitely translated to some of these bigger runs for the, for, for the, uh, for the running backs. But it's uh, I like the versatility that we're seeing from the offensive line as well. You know, and, and then we, we were wondering what, what was Florida hiding? You're not necessarily hiding or not really putting in the game plan when you were playing FAU and, and, and USF, the option was part of it. The tight ends catching balls were part of it as well, but you know, we, we saw glimpses of that option. I think we knew this would probably be the game it would break out just a little bit, but uh, it had a lot of success against a very fast defense running that option. Yeah, absolutely. And you need offensive linemen who are athletic to do that. You need guys who can get down the field. You need guys who can get off of combo blocks quick, especially at the tackle position. And like I said earlier, Delance, I think, did a really nice job. I, one of the interesting things Mullen said today is he talked about building offenses that or using the having an offense that can be built around the strengths of your players. I think most people think about that in terms of, you know, the quarterback and whether you need a dual threat quarterback and those sorts of things. But one of the things that I think you need to be able to do as well is build a build a offense around the strengths of your offensive line last year because of the skill players that they had on offense they really didn't do that right they sort of said hey we're going to force the offensive line to do things they're not real good at because Kyle Trask and Canaries Tony and Kyle Pitts are so good and so explosive and I think we saw some of the some of the shortcomings of the some of the offensive linemen last year because of it but I think when you really look at it this year they've emphasized both because of the personnel behind the offensive line but also just because of the strengths of the offensive line, that that is that is a unit that they are going to be able to rely on. Um, you know, Florida, I think, is number I, – I did this earlier. Hold on a second. So Florida is the seventh-ranked offense overall in yards per play in the country, and they are the number one-ranked offense rushing the ball. So, you know, 
and they're 62nd in yards per pass, which means to be seventh <laughs> says something about how far ahead of they, they are from other teams in terms of being the number one ranked rushing defense in, in the country. 7.7 yards per rush is ridiculous, <laughs> regardless of who you're playing. And the fact that they've got Alabama on their resume and are still putting up 7.7 yards per rush means to me they're going to be able to run on anybody in the country. And that's the identity, right, is that, you know, if, if Mullen comes out next week and out, out of his first 15 plays, Florida throws, throws half of the time, uh, I'm going to go nuts because this should be 64%, 65% for the rest of the year. Trust it. Early on, you're going to have some three and outs. Early on, you're going to have some times where drive stall. But in the fourth quarter, like this really is kind of 2012 must-champ ball in some respects where, you know, by the time you got to the fourth quarter in those games against that 2012 must-champ team, the opposing defense was just exhausted. You know, you think about Florida State that year where – all of a sudden, Gillisley was just running all over Florida State there in the fourth quarter. Think about LSU that year, where all of a sudden Florida was just running all over LSU in the second half, even though the first half the offense had been pretty anemic. And those are the types of things that I think Florida's going to have to do to take advantage and really sort of embrace their identity, right? The identity is that you're going to have to run the ball. Maybe you get some flash with Richardson, but the reality is, is that Emory Jones is just as big as just as big a weapon with his legs as he is with his arm. And and the more they embrace that, I think the more successful they're going to be well that's where i was going next was like a lot of you guys probably out there think you will and i have this big meeting before an episode or whatever we really don't it was like all right here's points and there we go as that and sometimes that doesn't even happen so uh it's uh this time of year it does kind of take care of itself we we, we know that the uh the, the topics that we can talk about but yeah emory jones going there next and the offense definitely opens up with his legs a bit more we saw him more comfortable in the offense they ran him more speaking of those options uh, a few times um, escaping the pocket and making some plays with his legs happen. Probably a couple more there. I think he could have had some bigger, a lot bigger runs if he had made that decision just a little bit sooner uh, there. But you can tell he's more comfortable there in that offense. I think it was 200 and – if I have, remember the, the stat from yesterday, 263 total yards there uh, when you add in his uh, running and passing uh, combined. Look, well, I mean, Bama played a lot of zone, uh, and that worked for the Florida run game. I mean, of course, they mixed it up, but they played a lot of zone out there. I think they were worried the man coverage would leave them exposed to, to some more of the quarterback run, so I think that helped this Florida run game overall. Um, and their defensive line just couldn't do what Florida's defensive line was doing and, and, and gain control there. Uh, a lot of two high looks <laughs> from, from Alabama. Emory kept uh, – and, and the run game just kept working on them. Uh, but that did make for uh, – going back to some of those original points we made earlier in the episode, it made for some long drives for Florida where they had to sustain uh, there. You, you eliminated you, – you had the one interception, but eliminated the big mistakes that were there in the first couple of weeks. Uh, but those, those getters were able to sustain some drives. And, Will, to your point, maybe too much clock there on that 99-yard drive uh, and that chain reaction there for, for from Weston letting the ball go out of bounds. But, uh, you know – Quarterback talk has been dominated the first couple weeks uh, of this season. Wondering about Anthony Richardson, of course, going into the Alabama game. Uh, all in all, was it a great elite performance by Emory Jones? No. Are you going to need that type of performance to beat Alabama? Probably. But, you know, he was there making plays to help put Florida in position to, for, you know, for, for that comeback that almost was there. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I went back and re-listened to our preview just because I was a little bit curious um, on my way to the airport the other day. And and one of the th- one of the things I think we really got right, we got a lot of stuff right in that preview actually. But one of the things I think we really got right was <clears throat> you and I both said towards the end of the towards the end of the episode that at some point Emory Jones was going to have to make a play, right? That this was probably going to be a pretty close game. That Emory Jones was going to have to make a play. And when he made that third and nineteen and got it to fourth and two and then was able to convert it, I was like, that's it. Like that's the play right there that we're going to point at and we're going to say this is why Florida won the game if Florida is able to win the game. And then there were the plays that he didn't make as well. And that, that I think, is sort of the story of Emory Jones is he can be brilliant, but he's inconsistent. And so, and you know. Mullen pretty much said that word for word in the preseason as well. Yeah, but, I mean, that the problem is, is that if I look at his QB rating, it's 108 through through the first three games of the year. His yards above replacement, which even factors in his rushing yards, has him at negative 0.07, so just barely below average, basically an average quarterback. I think he outplayed Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young had lower yards per attempt. He didn't run the ball at all, four rushes for negative four yards. I think once Florida finally made him throw the ball downfield on a consistent basis, Young really, really struggled. The problem is, is if you look at the stats for the first quarter, Young looked like a world beater, right? He was averaging like 10 yards a pass, had two 
touchdown passes and, and Florida couldn't stop them. So the the consistency from Young wasn't there either, but Alabama was able to convert that into touchdowns. And I really think the story of this game is that Alabama dominates the first quarter. It's 21 to three. Florida dominates the second quarter and Emory Jones sort of starts to get his sea legs there. But Florida only comes out of that up six nothing in, in the second quarter. And, and, you know, considering the defense held Alabama to negative yardage in the second quarter. Settling for six points is is really where that game wound up getting lost. I mean, you look at the end and say it's a two point game, and Florida came back, and and all of that is true. But the the real place where Florida could have made a huge difference is if they punched one more touchdown there in in that second quarter, and they're able to get it to you know to twenty one sixteen, or even make the extra point and get it twenty one seventeen there in the uh, in that in that second quarter. Then you come out in the third quarter, drive down, get that touchdown. All of a sudden the pressure on young, the energy in the stadium and just sort of the feel from playing ahead eventually, you know, from the start and sort of the tightening up of Alabama, realizing they've just blown an 18 point lead and now Florida's ahead. I think that along with the swamp and the energy and that sort of stuff maybe makes the game a little bit different. So, um, you know, I I think Emory Jones was better against Alabama than he was against USF. I think he was better at better against USF than he was against FAU. Um, you know, the, the problem is, is that he was really bad against FAU. He was a little bit above average against, uh, against USF. He was a little bit above average against, uh, against Alabama and a little bit above average isn't getting a team to the SEC championship, I don't think. And so, you know, I, I want Emory Jones to succeed. I think we're going to need him this year. I think he's going to be a huge contributor to the team the whole way throughout the year. But, you know, you could tell the pop wasn't there on the offensive side of the ball, and and they're going to need a lot from Anthony Richardson to really get to where they want to get to. Agreed. I mean, it's going to take both quarterbacks there um, when you when you look at this. I mean, I, I think we all – Think and believe AR can do it by himself out there, but with what he's proven. But you know, coaching staff doesn't seem to think that just yet, and we'll see where that goes uh, moving forward. Mullen did say a lot this week would be a lot like last week as far as AR goes. He'll go through uh, everything this week, see where he's at before uh, they insert him. They don't want to put him out there and, and hurt him even more. But you know, he was, he was. So he'll do up. a backflip and then not play. That's yeah. what that's what next week will be. <laughs> <laughs> We'll do two backflips next week. <laughs> uh, getting everybody all excited, and then the third drive came around, and he didn't come out. And it, in some ways, it was deflating there too, right? Because you're sitting there, you're down fourteen to three, um, or actually, I think you were down twenty-one to three at that point. Maybe by the time the third drive came around, and and uh, you know, it was a little bit deflating not to have him come out there for that third drive because you sort of were sitting there hoping that maybe you'd get it, and you didn't. And um, you could sort of feel the crowd kind of start murmuring yeah. at that point when he didn't come out for the third drive. Uh, well, let's get into something I haven't done here uh, in a bit. Now, I did. Do, I, I have started doing the Twitter Spaces, and we get a lot of uh, Gators breakdown listeners and reactions uh, for, for from that. But I did put a poll up because uh, of course the the big talk out there in Gator Nation right there is the the outlook for the Gators change after their performance versus Alabama. And I asked some people why as well. But let's get to the poll results. And Will out of twenty two hundred votes. And now look, I. I pretty much expected this, but I did want – that's why I put the why in there. I wanted people to explain maybe. I didn't, Look, I don't know what a lot of people's expectations were for this Gator team coming in this year, and that definitely plays into if your outlook changes or not. But in 2,200 votes, 76% of you said your outlook does change for the Gators versus – with their performance versus Alabama. Uh, and, Will, let's get into it here. Uh, Stingfeed Sports says – he says no because he was pretty high on the Gators, uh, this team at the beginning of the year, and figured we would surprise some people. Still had to beat Georgia, but Saturday's performance still has me cautiously optimistic about the 2021 season. Nate also says no because we've done this before with LSU in 2019. Played them tough, had momentum, and got crushed in Jacksonville. Have to finish. Can't play down to Tennessee. Can't play down to South Carolina. Can't play down to Kentucky. Um so we'll, 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 uh, I'll stop it there and get a couple of thoughts. So starting off there with um, no, but for a couple of different reasons. One, because the expectations were high, and the other one says no, it's, the outlook doesn't change because we've seen this. We've seen this team play and get up for the big-time opponents, but only to, uh, you know, 2018 and uh, whatever, however you define that year. You got up for LSU, uh, then later on the season you'd, Got beat by Georgia. Let that game beat you probably twice. You get beat by Missouri the, the very next week. Was great comeback versus South Carolina. Up and down uh, in 2018. But 2019, yeah, I mean, you played that 
2019 LSU team, very good. Played them down to the wire. Go to 2019, you go to Jacksonville. A lot of people picking Florida upset Georgia that year. You didn't uh, – you had the wrong wristbands to start the game. Could ever really get over – couldn't really get it going uh, there. So, I think that there's still some hesitation there, um, no matter how Florida played on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I think as there should be, right? The the reality is, is Florida lost the game. I had a, I had a couple of people reach out and, and talk to me about, you know, well, this proves that the recruiting doesn't matter. I'm like, no, it actually doesn't. Like, we lost oh, the no, game. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know, once we start winning these games consistently, then maybe I'll come over to that side. But until we start winning them consistently, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with my position. I, yeah. I'll say Florida, Florida's talent level this year is far upgraded from where it was at the end of the Jim McElwain era and the start of the Dan Mullen era. So comparing what letdown games in 2018 and 2019 I think is a little bit unfair I think last year's yeah. comparison is probably the one where you look at that LSU and and and, he, and even the A&M sort of in the second half and, and you look and say those are games that Florida really should have won based on the talent level on the team and who they were playing and those sorts of things and wasn't able to get the job done um you know I I think I'm encouraged that the defense looks better I think the defense looks better than I thought it would I I expected them to give up at more than 40 points to Alabama. They didn't do that. Um, but at the same time, I expect them to score 35, and they didn't do that either. So I, I think the game sort of dictated that. All the long drives kept the score lower than maybe you would have expected. There just weren't as many sort of blown coverages and and things where people were really take, able to take advantage of long plays. But, I mean, I, I look at it and I say, look, the expectation for the number 12 team in the country should be to play the number one team in the country pretty close. Right, and, the fact yeah. that, and, the, and the fact that people had them as 15.5-point underdogs seemed ridiculous to me. And, in fact, <laughs> that was one I, – I never bet on Florida, but I bet on Florida. This week, because I was like, there's no way 15 and a half points. Um, you know, and at the end of the first quarter, I was like, who got that one wrong? But it turns out, it turns out, you know, figured it I out. Did, I did get that one wrong, so I'll admit, uh, you can shame well, me. So, so, so look, I mean, I, I wrote this in my article and I, I always thought it was interesting. So, when I was a kid, and actually, even now, sort of, um, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, and you know, they, they had that big comeback where Frank Wright came in against the Oilers and led the comeback. And I remember going to my uncle's house for Christmas right around the time that was happening, and he just said, Look, Buffalo's not going to win the Super Bowl. And I'm like, Why is that? He's like, I don't believe in comebacks. He's like, Comebacks mean you did something to get that far behind. He's like, and it means you've got flaws that that you, yeah, you were able to cover up for a short amount of time, but those flaws are there, and those flaws are eventually going to come up and bite you. And that's the thing that would worry me the most coming out of here is that that twenty-one to three start shows some flaws, and there are going to be some teams with some personnel and some quarterbacks who can take advantage of those things. That first quarter, that film is going to be shown to everybody, and the adjustments that Florida made in the second, and the third, and the fourth quarter is going to be is going to be seen by everybody as well. And so you're not just going to be able to rely on the stuff that you did there in the second quarter when you're playing against Tennessee or when you're playing against LSU or when you're playing against Georgia, you're going to have to make new adjustments. And, and are those new adjustments going to open up other flaws that that sort of reared their ugly head there in that first quarter? That's the thing I'd be wary of. But at the same time, if you'd have told me coming into the year that it'd be a two-point loss to Alabama, that you'd only give up 31 points, that you'd have a two-point conversion attempt at the end to try to tie the game, yeah, I'd say, hey, I, I think that bodes well for the overall season. But at the end of the day, to get where you want, you got to go two and one in the three games against Alabama, LSU, and Georgia. And the margin for error just shrunk because you're now 0 and 1. And had you won this one, you could have maybe lost to LSU, beaten Georgia, and still been able to get to the SEC championship game and, and even potentially the playoff. But at this point, you don't have the room. You don't have air. You don't have room for air anymore. And that's that's sort of what I'm taking coming out of this one. Yep, that's you know that's what we looked at the schedule to begin with. This was a chance to steal one <laughs> there uh, because Georgia's schedule looks pretty. I was about to say pretty cake, but I think Arkansas is definitely better than what we gave them credit for, and maybe Auburn to a point as well. We'll see where Auburn goes after uh, that Penn State performance as well. They but, aren't losing uh, to Auburn. No, they're not losing to Auburn, but. But I think Auburn's maybe a little better than I thought, but they're not losing to Auburn. But. Well, so so let me let me let me preface that they shouldn't lose to Auburn, and if they do, uh, Kirby's definitely getting a Kirby Award that week. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, Aaron says, I "Always thought this could be a ten or two or eleven and one season. Elite running game, play calling, and front seven. Eleven and one seems feasible. We'll boil it down to continued growth and maturity of both quarterbacks." Uh, Cameron Harris says, not really. We're still limited at the most important position. Can we play to that level every week? We'll see. Uh, Florida Gator, Air Florida Jordan, um, 
good Twitter friend here says, uh, I say no because our passing game is limited, special teams non-existent, and our defense can't be trusted yet, especially on the back seven. But there are some encouraging qualities about our team. First and foremost, the trenches on both sides have been exceptional. The running backs and Elam, if we can get AR back, he can help us. Um, Will, I didn't even get to it just a little bit with you there. And that, I think this will come up a little bit. So if not, I'll probably try and end the episode with it, though. Um, Numb uh, at RunPod says, yes, it does change his outlook. I have more confidence in Emory. Defense might have learned how to play. Now, I'm still nervous because we always lose a game we shouldn't to a team that has no business beating us. <laughs> so, some cautious optimism there. Um, let's see. I can't see this name here. The Elite Wideout Academy. Okay, here we go. He goes, it puts me at ease being that with Dan, we are headed in the right direction. I honestly think that we have a playoff-ready team. No one can beat us uh, but 100%. Uh, okay, no one can beat us but us, 100%. There we go. Defensively, if we play more man coverage, no one will score on us. Okay, there we go. Um, you can't get quarterbacks easy throws. Um, okay, well, there we go. Well, that was going to go to my point, and I said it again. It was my biggest issue in this game, my biggest issue going into the game, yards after contact, yards after uh, catch, and another slow start on defense. I know we've kind of hit on it maybe why the reasons, but – just a storyline of another slow start in a big game. I, I just I, that that's the one that rubs me. Will I can't get over it. Um, it's just that's the the common issue. Like what happens in practice and preparation all week? Where you, the, you know, Mullen even mentioned today the team's uh, you know the game speed and all that. And was like well, but that doesn't. I mean, you're in these games against Alabama, against Georgia last year, you get down 14 nothing versus Georgia. Yeah, you score on your first drive last year versus Alabama, but you eventually get down pretty early in the game where you have to fight your way back. Uh, it's just it's a common thread, a common theme that uh, what, what can Todd Grantham not identify early in games that he can adjust? I mean, look, we saw it last year versus Alabama. They, they had a great stretch there on defense to get back in that game. But for whatever reason, they can't find that in preparation and for these teams. And, look, I know a lot of it's about Alabama and their scheming and what they did. They knew they could have those one-on-one matchups, stretch the field horizontally, you know, side to side and get a lot of one-on-one matchups. And they took advantage there. They, they, they saw something on film that, that could hurt Florida. But, you know, it's always a reaction from Todd Grantham. It's not dictating it from the start. Yeah, I, I don't have an answer. I don't, I don't have an answer to that question because I looked at the film. I watched the Miami game against, against Alabama. And I said, the way you beat Bryce young is you dare them to run the ball. You play coverage and you hope he throws into the, you hope he throws into that coverage and makes a mistake. And Florida had a couple opportunities. They had that zone blitz where Cox drops the interception. They had a bunch of times they came and made plays on the ball where they weren't necessarily, most of those weren't one on one, though they did go after Elam in one on one quite a bit. But the reason Florida was able to take over in the second half is they finally just said, We're going to trust our four guys up front to take care of business. And that is the strength of the team. The strength of the team is the three transfer defensive tackles Gravon Dexter, Brenton Cox, and Zachary Carter. And if you're not going to rely on those guys, and Jeremiah Moon too, but you know, if you're not going to rely on those guys up front, and just say, look, we trust you're going to get to the quarterback. We trust you're going to stop the run. And we're going to get, lend support to our secondary, who clearly is learning, but also is limited. Um, I don't know what they saw on film this week when they were looking at it. Because I saw it. I mean, I looked at it and said, I think you should play dime. I think you should take a linebacker off the field, put an extra defensive back out there, and, and play dime and dare them to run the ball. And it turns out that the adjustment that I think they made for the most part from the first quarter to the second quarter is they were matching numbers in the box. So if Alabama had, you know, if, if Alabama had, uh, you know, basically they, they, they eliminated one guy in the box going from the first quarter to the second quarter and made it to where Bryce Young's read was you should run the ball. And in the first quarter, the read was, we're going to have a numbers advantage on the outside, throw the quick swing pass out to the wide receiver, throw it out to the running back, you're going to get one-on-one coverage. And you know, look, I mean, you could say all you want that Florida's defensive backs were in the right position, but right. they didn't make a tackle the whole first quarter when they got it out there, which is knowing your personnel, right? I mean, I just we just Correct. said this about the offensive line. We just said this about the quarterback. Like, Mullen has this entire concept of you need to put – 
your players in position to succeed on the offensive side of the ball. And what I saw in that first quarter was he didn't do that with his defensive players. And you've got a gem there in Kyrie Elam out there on the outside. And so he allows you to do a lot of things from a coverage perspective in other areas that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And if you can trust your defensive line, then that means you can even give more help to those guys. And that was that I, I just don't get it. Right. I watched the film. I saw what I saw. I said, I think you got to dare him to run the ball. And then in the first quarter, I'm sitting there looking at it going, they're giving him a numbers advantage on the outside. And, you know, all of a sudden it was 15 yards, so a little swing pass out to Bolden. And then you throw it out the running back and multiple times the running back was able to cut back to the inside. And, and, you know, there wasn't anybody there to help. And, and that to me was the adjustment they made in the second quarter is once they took that away, right. Once they said, we're only going to have a, you know, we're going to have the minimum number of guys in the box that we have in Derry to run the ball, Alabama either ran the ball or they dropped back and had to throw the ball downfield because there were enough defensive backs to cover the flats at that point. And then Bryce Young wasn't able to throw the ball downfield. So I think he threw for like 109 yards in the first quarter and then threw for like 131 the rest of the game. And in large part, that was because of the adjustment. But I guess my point is, is, at least my disappointment is, is that looking at the film that you should have started there instead of having to make the adjustment. Yeah, that's my, you know, that's my point. Like, I don't, I don't understand, you know, talking about someone know more about football than I'll ever know. And he'll, he'll forget more football than I'll ever know. But it's just those things that you can point to of like, why is there slow starts in big games? And look, I mean, some of this, and as you said, Will, like, yes, you can point to players who need to, to make a tackle, but, I think once they show the ability that they can't do it, the adjustment that you're talking about, okay, well, if that's a drive sooner, is that the difference in the game? Uh, and, and Florida comes out uh, victorious. The second drive of the game, they actually had the Kyrie Lum, uh pass interference and, and all that comes into play as well. Uh, but, you know, if – if the adjustments there you know, on that drive, maybe they don't finish that drive uh, there. Yeah. Look, and, and just real quick on the officials, I think there were some dubious pass interference calls. I thought the Elam pass interference live from where I was sitting did actually look like a pass interference. And he was really handsy last week against USF. In fact, on the on the interception that he got, I thought he probably deserved a PI on that one. Um, and, and so I think he got a I mean, I think he's got a reputation for being handsy. And the 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 issue is, is they sort of let him play, except for that one play, which is the reason yeah. that that's which is the reason that, that was disappointing. And you look at it and say, eh, it wasn't really there. But I thought live it actually kind of looked like it the other thing is, is that none of the pass interferences even though they were third down conversions none of the pass interferences put alabama in scoring position the defense still had an opportunity right. to get a stop after all the pass interferences the only play that i would say was egregious was what i thought was an offensive pass interference when mechie ran into trey dean and opened up billingsley down the sideline now i think billingsley might have already had dean on his hip and might have been able to you know, it was a nice throw from uh, from from Young, and he he was going to be open by a yard or two, and maybe they make that play anyway. But you know, I I even put the definition of offensive pass interference in my article today because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's the offensive player's responsibility to make sure that he doesn't run into the defensive player. And he ran into him, and he knocked him down, and all of a sudden, you got a wide receiver wide or a tight end slash wide receiver wide open down the field. That's the one that I think is the one that the officials really missed. And if you were going to complain about officiating, that's the one that I'd point to. All right, well, let's get a few more of these uh, Twitter thoughts here. Uh, Mitchell MCG on the outlook of the Gators. Does it change? He goes, yes, after beating FAU and USF, no one really knew if we were just beating up on inferior teams or if we could compete with legit title contenders. The latter was answered on Saturday, and that was without Richardson and Miller. Rest of the season is all about taking care of business. Uh, Ronnie um, underscore WX, uh, the defensive and offensive lines both showed they could adjust to arguably one of the best defensive and offensive lines in the country. This gave the running game life, which in turn gave the passing game life, almost resulted in a three-touchdown comeback against Bama. Uh, Felicia Earnshaw says, I feel like the team gained confidence and proved they can play with the best of them. Now needed to consistently go over the season. That, well, that's what we're picking up. A common theme. Everybody knows this just can't be a one-hit wonder here for, 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 the, for the Gators. Roley uh, underscore 78. Jones slash young team found themselves. Wish they had more reps. Had played at least Tennessee or Kentucky before Alabama. Prefer, prefer, before, preferably after LSU. Now the squad needs to show us they've learned. Cut the stupid mistakes. Missed assignments. AR-15 back. Show us growth and handle their business. 
Allie Perry says, I thought the offensive line would be good. Didn't know they'd be this good. Still small sample size. Can't wait to see how we run the ball the rest of the season. Um, Chris, uh, Mr. Chris Tubit says, I've moved us I've moved us solidly to 10 and 2 and feel like Georgia is the only thing standing in our way to 11 and 1. See us near the top 5 and 6 and 1 heading into Jacksonville. Last few here, uh, Beat Vols at Savage Gators says, hopefully Florida was playing to their potential and didn't peak during the Alabama game. Time will tell. Francis says yes, and here's why on the outlook. This game showed that we can compete with the best team in the country, not only compete with, but win as well. I'm winning. I'm thinking this will light that spark in us. Here you go, Will. I'm thinking this will light that spark in us that we had back in 2008 after Ole Miss. We can be any team in the country and we are going to do that. There we go. Like some confidence there. Deontay Max says, I feel much better moving forward. Our swing is a lot higher than I originally thought. Now I believe we are the team to beat in the East. Um, Johnny Tuberell says, no, we've seen this. Get up for a big game and then come back to a vanilla game plan. Lose one we shouldn't. Emory Jones is still going to have to make more plays with his arms and consistently getting whipped for a whole quarter is not good. Um Tony Aguilini says, still 9-3. and three. Running games has to travel, and it's tough to trust the defense with so many slow starts. Last one, Gator Ryan here says, nope, got up for one game, still have the concerns with trends dating back to last year and beyond. Slow starts and kicking game, easiest way to lose one. We shouldn't as well. So there we go, Will. Everybody, I mean, even if it was good or bad, if you agreed with it or didn't agree with it, most of the common theme there of, hey, it's one game, definitely got to see this team do it again. If your outlook did change, you still want to see the team build on this performance versus Alabama. Or if you're not ready to fully buy in, it's because you have seen the team not necessarily play at the level every week. Uh, yeah, and last year is probably the perfect example. You finally beat Georgia. You played, you slow start, but you played well in that game. Uh, only to you know not look so good versus Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, maybe a precursor to d- the disappointing showing versus LSU. So hopefully this staff learned from that and tapping into the team and being able to, to play every week like you played versus Alabama. So good stuff there from the Twitter world, and that'll do it. Will, good episode. Yeah, the one thing I will say is that yeah. – uh, is that – Florida has a seventh ranked offense and the 32nd ranked defense in yards per play. I did something a few years ago where I looked at teams that made the playoffs. And for the most part, you d- you would never have something that had a huge discrepancy between those numbers. Oklahoma a few times had really bad defenses, but the Big 12 was terrible. Um, but beyond that, you usually saw some balance. You didn't need top 10 units on both sides, but you needed a top 10 unit on one side or the other. And so I think Florida is showing a profile that actually does – portend a more competitive team this year than we had last year because last year the offense was certainly top 10 but the defense was nowhere close and so the defense being at 32nd um, gives me some hope right that that yeah it's not an elite unit but it might be enough if the offense is an elite unit and based on the yardage that Florida's putting up on the ground I think they have an opportunity to be an elite unit obviously you got to prove that moving forward but that would be where the optimism would come from on my side I've been sort of pessimistic about about the defensive scheme and I've been pessimistic about, you know, needing Anthony Richardson and those sorts of things. But I think at the end of the day, the statistical profile does indicate that Florida at least compares favorably with some other playoff teams. Though, if you looked at Georgia after three weeks, you'd say the same thing about them, too. And so right. uh, I think we all know that's coming up. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things, though, where um, it's not just USF and FAU coming up. we got a couple more games coming up here where there's some stuff to prove. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, this performance this past Saturday won't mean anything. That game versus Georgia won't mean anything if you don't take care of business these next three games, uh, as we know. So if you want to be championship level, you got to go compete with those championship teams, but you got to take care of the business of the of the Kentuckys and the Tennessee and the, uh, of the world. A, a down LSU can't have the disappointing performance like you did against them. That's where we'll see if this team grow up. It grew up and look, you played Alabama close last year too, but that was a week after you lost a game you shouldn't have to, to, to LSU. So we've seen it before. Everybody who, you know, who doesn't want to fully buy in completely get that, but there plenty of reason for optimism, as you said there, Will. So, all right, man, what you got coming up else on uh, Read Reaction this week? YouTube channel, of course, uh, you know, doing pretty well out there as well. But uh, yeah, so we're not in text form and yeah, YouTube there. Yeah, as so well. that- 
Yes, there's an Alabama recap up on the site right now. There will be a Tennessee preview. Uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, check out my Kirby Awards. It's where I pick out a coach or a, an administrator last week, actually, who makes a stupid boneheaded decision, sort of explain why, and then give them an award named after the esteemed Kirby Smart for uh, on-field coaching acumen. And then uh, and then we have a new episode of Stand Up and Holler on the YouTube channel today, so go check that out, sort of an Alabama recap. Some of the same themes, but some different ones as well in terms of um, some of the things that Nick saw there and, and – uh, you know, some of the things we hope to see moving forward as, as Florida's schedule moves on. Well, I've, uh, quickly, because, I mean, just because of what's going on in that school out west, have you had a have you had a derby double Kirby winner yet? <laughs> I have. What a coincidence. So, yeah, Mike Norvell <laughs> is piling up Cur- Kirby's in the trophy case, which is good because there aren't going to be any more trophies coming into Tallahassee anytime soon. Um, you know, I, I I will have to say Florida was down 21 nothing or 21 to three. And I was getting a little bit depressed and it was it was a little bit, you know, just the whole stadium was deflated and, and I was deflated because I really wanted it to be a good game since I came all the way down there. And then they flashed up on the screen, Wake Forest up like 21 to seven or something like that. And I'm like, really wake forest but then i'm like well they did lose to jacksonville state so (laughs) So, you know it it, i don't know what they're doing up there a couple years ago when when willie taggart got fired i wrote something that said they should make me head coach because if they they could just pay me per win i'd win the two cupcakes and then i'd tank all the rest of the games and they'd only have to pay me 300 grand and they'd still go three and eight like like you know they're gonna end up going this year and it turns out that i would have been a bargain because they would have gotten more wins than, than they've gotten this year so far so um i, I you know a little bit of schadenfreude obviously and i think that if florida state is elite then it's fun having them elite because and especially if both Florida and Florida State are elite at the same time. But, you know, considering all of the uh, the Georgia Southern jokes and all that sort of stuff in the Muschamp era and, you know, having to deal with the Jameis Winston stuff when Florida was down and it's 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 good to see them sort of get a taste of their own medicine. And hopefully in a couple of years, we'll be saying the same things about Georgia. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, that is Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SCC and his site, readreaction.com. I'm your host of David. I'm your host of David Waters. There we go. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>